The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Morning. I'm not a juggler. Put that there. I, I love coming back home because it is always a sweet reminder of just how many beautiful people there are here that have been gracious uh, to Suzanne and I and our family and have just loved us for for a long time. And so I I thank you uh, for just your hearts. Let me get my eyes. Uh, I'm not an undertaker, (laughs) John. (laughs) I I, I don't know. It's just one of those deals. My father was a minister uh, all of my life. And I feel like he's probably kind of watching me, and so I have to do my best to do my best. So that, that's why the jacket. I hope he forgives me for not having a tie on, Dad. So anyway, Brett asked me to come and, and share, as John said, uh, about the discipline of service. And I do think that for me, if I were picking any of the other subjects, it would be the one that I would choose. Partly because I'm just familiar with it. Not that you're not. Many of you can stand right up here and speak as well as I do, maybe not get as emotional as I do, and and share something that is meaningful, beneficial uh, to to everyone that's out here. Uh, But I do look forward to to talking about service, and I I hope I do well with that for you. uh, I even thought this morning, I thought, I hope you can maybe even, as I read a scripture or get into talking about service, that you can... I'm okay if you just kind of check out <laughs> and you just kind of hear me behind your own mind and your own heart thinking already. You know how sometimes when somebody else is talking, you're thinking what your response is going to be? That's not very good as a listener for me to do that. But if you start even thinking about, wow, what, what can I do? I'm, I'm hearing God speak through these scriptures and what Paul has just said, and what, what can I do to really do meaningful service? So you have permission to kind of check out. Now, if you close your eyes, I'm going to question you. And I might do like my father did and say, Paul. But it is good to be here just to share this with you. So I wanted to begin by just bringing down the word service and and look at the word serve. And so I did what a lot of people would do. I went to the cabinet in our house and I dug around in that cabinet and I found it. That big, huge book, the Bible of definitions, the Bible of words, more commonly called Webster, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. And I took it out and unfolded it on the dining room table, and I looked for the word service. And I'm just kidding, I Googled it. Because <clears throat> I don't know where that book is, and it's probably left with my parents' estate. Uh, The only time it was ever used was when we played Scrabble to verify whether that was a usable word, right? So if you're over 40, you get that, right? You you get that. So I looked up what the word serve meant, and there were actually as many as 13 variations or definitions of what serve means. And so I just started reading through some of those to see if there was one of those that kind of applied to the discipline of service. And so one of the first ones was to serve. 
And I, I looked at a little bit more of that, and it was really talking about maybe in a, a restaurant to serve. Or maybe it was talking about uh, as a form of employment to serve in whatever kind of employment you had. Or maybe it was even about being indentured from years past and hopefully not so much today, but unfortunately some today. People serving because they're indentured. They have an obligation or a debt. And our debt has been paid, so I'm not talking about that one. So I kept going with all of these definitions. And another one was to do military service. And so very, very rich, and, and we should honor those. But again, it just it didn't get the discipline of service. To be a server or to put the ball in play, to serve as in tennis, or to serve a sentence like in prison or legal service that you offer to someone, just to name a few. And not, not one of them really caught my attention or really I felt like was the discipline of service. And so I, I just had to kind of close that Google and think about what does it mean for me to serve? What does it mean for you to serve? And who are we serving? What are we serving for? What is the purpose in front of our service or behind our service? So what does that look like? And I think you would probably come to the same conclusion, especially as we sit here and we're, we're worshiping God and honoring God, that behind all of those words and meanings, they just kind of fall away and you come down to the real root for us, and it's God. So when we serve, and when I serve and do what I do, do I serve the people? Well, yes. Do I serve this church because I'm commissioned as a missionary? Yes. But it's more than that. It's more. I serve God. And it is through God and, and then my faith and then the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and then the Scripture and all of those things that is about God that just kind of leads me and channels me into service. So the root of it really is, is God. It's not an institution. And I believe God gave us a perfect definition of service in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, when he said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and be a ransom for many. The Son of God came to serve. The creator has a mindset of serving. The one with all power and authority on earth and in heaven, his intent is to serve. And so it has to go further back than even Webster was published, and it has to go to God to discover the real meaning of serve or service. And so we have to look at what God has to say about it. In John chapter 13, Verses 12 through 17. It says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And then he said, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wa wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant 
is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Serving at its root is to please God. Just as most of God's examples have a residual effect, they have a a compounding consequence, serving does as well. Because it's not only me when I serve that it gives me that warm, tingly feeling. You know the one that's deep in your soul that just makes you feel good about helping somebody or doing something for them. But it's also the person that you serve because you can see it in their eyes. You can see that little twinkle come back just a little bit because maybe humanity has disappointed them. But by somebody being gracious to them and giving goodness to them and helping them, a little bit of that humanity is restored and they have hope. So you see it there. And then we have no idea who sees it that we don't even know is observing. And I'm telling you, they're watching. The community is watching. People around are watching. I have people that tell me, hey, I saw you do that. Now, where were you at? (laughs) It has a compounding effect when we serve others. There are residual effects that come along with it. The act of serving comes deep within. The desire to be obedient to God. But it's more than obedience because I've proven in my life I'm obedient sometimes. So it's more than that. It's even deeper than being obedient because we we fail and we're disobedient and then we come back, but we still want to serve. It's a desire to please God, but it's more, or to praise God, but it's, it's really more than just praising God too. It comes from that deep place in our soul. And you know, there are people that are good I had a next-door neighbor, a dear friend. He was a good man. He did good things. But I don't know what drove it other than just his humanity because he wasn't a believer. So I hope that he gets credit for that and in that goodness, the things that he's doing leads him to God. I hope that he comes to understand where that servant heart comes from. I hope that people witness to him like we've tried to witness to him so that he understands where that goodness comes from. But until you see where it's from, until you accept the offering of his son that taught us how to serve, until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you will not grasp the blessing that he said that is deep in your soul. And you'll do it You'll serve for more than to praise. You'll serve more than to be obedient. You'll serve because it is natural, because it's in your deepest desires to serve. You want to please God, the creator of service. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, This is commonly used when it's talking about shepherds and and elders, but I believe it applies and communicates to all of us. It says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, 
watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. He wants it to, after we've learned it, to come from in here. After we've learned it, after we understand where it comes from, he wants us to be eager to do it. It becomes a part of our daily life because we understand it's from him and it pleases him to do so. When I looked up the, the Greek word, and, and I was not all that great a good student, and I tell people I had two and a half years of Greek, but really I had about a year because I had to keep going back and, and doing more Greek. And so it's one of those languages, if it were like Spanish, I could probably stay brushed up on it because I could use it every day. But the New Testament Greek, I don't use every day. And so I hope that I do justice because I know there's some scholars in here that I hope I use this uh, in, a, in a correct way. But the Greek word is diakonoi or diakonos in the plural. And that's often used for, that's where we arrive at the word deacon. And a deacon, if it's broken down, is a servant. And so diakonoi is the word that is used in the New Testament uh, for servant. And one of its de definitions, when I looked that up in the Greek text, was uh, as one that will kick up the dust as running an errand. I love that. That's probably not a, you know, the, the literal translation of the word there, but it used it kind of as an application. As one running, kicking up dust as running an errand. And I've seen that. As soon as I read it, I was reminded that I've seen that image right there in our young people in the years that I went to like Honduras and places like that and, and I'm sure John and others have seen going to the to, to Belgium or wherever you've gone to to Africa and when the group gets out of the van and they've been there before and the doors they just can't wait to open the doors because they're running to those people that they know and they love and that's that eagerness to get back with them and to serve it's just something that that just comes bubbling out of you once you get a taste of it, it just bubbles out of you. And I love the excitement of the youth, especially when they get that. And they're so excited and just reminded of eager to serve. Eager to serve. You know, an eagerness and a joy to please God and to do good is what I want constant. I want it to be consistent. And to be consistent, I have to get up every morning, even in what I do, and be reminded as I pray, today is the Lord's day. Every day. Every day. Michael Boone was a regular. I don't know if you got any of the pictures I sent. I had a picture of, of Michael Boone. They, I may not have gotten them through to you, Brett, and I apologize, because... Go back one if you have one. Is there one before that or just a gentleman? There you go. <clears throat> Some of you have probably met Michael Boone. Michael Boone is a regular at Cross and Crown. Uh, so much that we were able to do what we love to do at Cross and Crown. We, we are there to, to give food and clothing and all kinds of assistance, but the, really when you get down to the heart of what we want to do, it's relationship. And so 
with everybody. We want them to come back more often. We offer food boxes more often than any other agency in Oklahoma City just because we don't want there to be too much time between when we see you again. We want to, to catch up with you. When we pray with you in the, the prayer room, we want to be able to have a, a memory of what we prayed about and that your child was sick and how's your child now. And we want that to, to bubble over and roll over into who oh, he's well and we want that to turn into then let's praise God for that. Let's give God thanks. And we want that to be now kind of a spark in that person to go, oh, God could have had something to do with this. And then questions are answered. But Michael was with us long enough that we really got to know him. Michael, Michael grew up in Spencer, Oklahoma. Michael was a star athlete at Spencer High School. You can go back. I've seen all of the newsprint first page as a quarterback, and he was, just, he was an all-state player. He got a scholarship to the University of Alabama, and somewhere during that time, his brain just kind of did that, and the schizophrenia kicked in, and he lived homeless on the streets near us, and we tried to put him in housing, and we would have had to have a house that was 20 miles out of town and all by itself, because when his schizophrenia kicked in, nobody could live near him, and so it was a kind of a disaster. So we just did our best to provide for him when it was warm, when it was cold, and, and all that. But he, he, over those years, he just became kind of a part of our family. I'm talking about my, my grandchildren knew him as Mr. Boone, uh, to the point where when we would go home, they would say, what's Mr. Boone going to do tonight? Because it's really cold, and I want to take him a blanket. What's Mr. Boone going to do tonight? Because it's really hot, and does he have any fans, or what, does he have a light so he can turn on at night? He's not scared. I mean, they knew him as Mr. Boone, and Suzanne, when Mr. Boone Michael would show up, she would give him uh, postcard, little uh, note cards, a stack of them every week because he would write down all of his memories on those note cards, and then he would bring them to us so they didn't forget, and we could read about him, and it was always about the good times that he remembered in his life, not the hard times that he was there, but he, he became family with us, and I went to Michael's funeral. in Spencer. Michael was one of 11 children. His father was a Baptist minister. You never would have seen that in Michael living homeless down in the hood. You never would have known that. But we knew that from knowing Michael. And when I got to the, the funeral, first of all, it was easy to see my family <laughs> because we were the only white faces that were there. And as I walked in, a, a woman approached me and just introduced, and I guess she was kind of greeting people, and I didn't know who she was, and she said, I'm Michael's sister. And I said, oh, it is so nice to, to meet you. I've heard about all of his siblings. He's told me about all of them, and I remember hearing your name and, and all. And so you were younger. Yes, I was younger. And she said, and your name was what? And I said, Paul. And she goes, Pastor Paul? And I said, <laughs> That's what Michael called me. And she grabbed me. She hugged me. She said, when we were little, that's why I put the water, not because I'm thirsty. It just gives me a break. <laughs> when we were little children, our father would bring us in the evening into one of the rooms. Imagine now there's 13 of them. 
at least crammed in that little room. And he would pray every night that God would place an angel and he would name us and say, God put with Michael an angel of the Lord and put with an angel of the Lord. And he would do that every night and he said, and now, and from wherever they go and wherever they are, whatever they're doing, put an angel by their side. And she said, you're his angel. Nobody in my family has ever called me an angel. <laughs> First time to be called an angel. Little devil, yes. Little, little whatever, yes, but not an angel. And so I had to kind of go sit down and absorb that. And then just going through the service, uh, just hearing people talk about him, that loved him, and, and cared about him was just a reminder that everybody, everybody, you see it, Paul, is a child of God, has a mama and a daddy, and more than likely somebody that prayed for them as a child. <clears throat> At the end, this is even harder than that, if you can believe it. At the end of the service, that same sister came dragging a little lady over, probably 85 years old, about that tall, said, Mama, this is Pastor Paul. So that was Michael's mother. She just immediately grabbed me like a linebacker, stuck her head in my chest, and just started sobbing, started crying, and said, I wanted to come down there. Every day I wanted to come down there and see Michael, but I couldn't. I just couldn't come down there and see him like that. But I wanted to so bad. Just like now, I mustered up the words, and I just said, Mama, you didn't have to. God sent me to be there for you, to love Michael. So, mission accomplished sister that God did put an angel and he does that and it may come and I'm not, I, I don't want to be the angel any more than you want to be the angel I, I don't want the celebrity of this is Pastor Paul any more than you want the celebrity of that I want to be pleasing to God I want to be known as someone that's pleasing to God I want to be seen as someone that people recognize, like Michael did, this man is doing this because of his faith, because he loves God. And that's how I know you want to be known as well. Being a servant has residual effects. It has long-lasting effects. I will never forget, as a little boy in elementary school, my mother would get us up on Sunday mornings and she would get us all clean, get us ready in a hurried fashion, load us three boys into the car and we would drive down to the ghetto. And I only say ghetto because not one house had anything more than a dirt floor. This is in the United States. All dirt floors. 
Some of them running water, some of them not. Some electricity, some of them not. It's hard to imagine. And so we would pick up four little brothers, four brothers from the house that my mom had met them canvassing to try to get kids to come to vacation Bible school. And she had this ongoing relationship, understanding with the mother, that we would pick them up at this time on Sunday morning. So we would load, again, I love these kids, these filthy little boys in the car with us three. So now we had seven. This was before seatbelts were really mandatory. We have seven little boys, three clean and three not so clean, and my mom driving a Delta 88 Oldsmobile uh, so that we could all fit in there, and driving back to our house, preparing the bathtub, putting two of the little boys in the bathtub while she ran to get breakfast made. We stayed and watched to make sure none of them went under, and then get them out and drain the bath water because it looked like chocolate milk, and get the next two in there, and then bring the other two into the, the kitchen where she was working on breakfast and get them clothed, usually in our clothes. So I'm just looking at this kid leaving in my clothes, maybe my favorite shirt, for sure my favorite shoes. And then she would do the same thing with the other two. And then we would load all up and we would go to church. Then we would bring them home. We would have lunch together and then we would take them home. And never, never did they ever on the way home go, can we not just stay longer? Can we not stay longer? And our service is learned. Teach your children. That's what the word says. Teach your children. Service is learned. It's observed. It, it's something that you see done, and even then it gives you that feeling of, I want to do that. I, I want to be involved in that. And so I encourage you just to, through that story, just teach your children to be servants of the Lord because it pleases God. <clears throat> In January, Cross and Crown uh, was presented with a, a new opportunity. We, just as you do, you come to Cross and Crown, and many of you volunteer, and you give donations. And we were approached by the Oak Crest Church of Christ on the south side to give them a recommendation. They were having some, they were directing the Christian Service Center, which has been around and supported by Churches of Christ in the Oklahoma City area for like 50 years. I had no idea. And it's in the Capitol Hill area. It's a little VFW building that they took ownership of, and it was just a little clothing store. People, maybe you even donated clothes there and they would give out those clothes and you could come once every three months and get clothes and, and that was it. And so they were having some leadership change and the Oak Crest Church came to us and said, we love what you do at Cross and Crown with the spiritual element that you add to it. What can we do at the service center to get that, that atmosphere of, of servanthood and, and faith? And what can we do? And so Drew and Luke and I went to the neighborhood in Capitol Hill and we kind of researched it. We went to several of the restaurants in the aid and talked to the people that ran them. And we went to some other businesses and said, you know, are you aware of that? No, I've never heard of that. And talked to people at churches around there, the, the leaders at churches and said, what does your community need? I know not another church, but what do you need here? And they would share things. Well, we, we don't have this or this. And so we listened a lot. Went back to the Oak Crest Eldership and their missions committee, a big group of people, and said, these are the findings that we have, and 
this is what we would suggest that you do, and it's primarily Hispanic, so you need a Spanish-speaking minister or a director that's there to, to communicate, and you, know, you need something for the children, and, and you need something more than just the food, uh, more than just the clothes, you need food. That's what the community needs, and so we gave that to them, and then we left and felt good that we had given them something, and then we prayed more about it, me and Drew and Luke, and we called them back, and we just said, you know what, we got one more option for you. They said, oh, okay, we'd love more options. I said, we hope that you would. And so just dismiss it if you don't like it. You, you want it to be like Cross and Crown? I said, give it to Cross and Crown. Why would we do that? <laughs> I said, how many meetings do you have about this place? Well, pretty regular right now. And what is the cost to you? And, and how are you fun, if, you're providing for it? And like, it's a struggle. I said, so what does your church need? And they said, we need volunteer opportunities. And we were kind of, and I said, great, give it to us. And we will make it that. And it'll be a volunteer opportunity for you. So some people, when I told that what we were thinking about doing, said, are you out of your mind? You've got your hands full. Yes, we do. Well, yes, we do. But when God presents an opportunity and I say no, it's a little much, I'm out of my mind. Because 20 years ago, the neighborhood that we are in right now reminds us of Capitol Hill's neighborhood today. And so we just said, you know what? We know what God can do in that place. We've witnessed what God can do with little to nothing. And you have been on that ride with us. You've seen what God has done in that neighborhood. You've seen the transformation. You've seen the change. You've seen it grow a spirit of faith. You've seen people learn to be loved like Michael. You've seen people have their hope restored about humanity. You've seen people give themselves to God in baptism. Never forget that portable baptistry coming down the, the street and said, do you think you'll have any need for this? Let's haul it upstairs and put it in the sanctuary and baptize people. We know what God can do in the Capitol Hill area, just like he did in our little neighborhood there. So Luke is directing over there. All I'm trying to communicate to you is, it's all around you, the opportunity. All you have to do is take the faith that has been put in you, the Holy Spirit will guide you. Don't be fearful. Find it. It's there. And serve. And what he grows residual out of that will be what amazes you, like it amazes me. Let's praise the Lord.